as we do read in chapter 9, that then Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaal, went to Shechem, to his mother's brothers, and spoke with them, and with all the family of the house of the mother's fathers, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jerubbaal reign over you, or that one reign over you? Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. And his mother's brother spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. And their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. So they gave him seventy shekels of silver from the temple of Baal Bereth, in which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. And then he went to his father's house at Oprah and killed his brothers and the seventy sons of Jerubbaal on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, was left because he hid himself. So all the men of Shechem gathered together at Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. And so, Father, this night we desire to once again learn from your word. And these things are written for us as examples that we may learn, just as Paul said that we are to run our race, to run to win the prize. And he said that the Old Testament examples are there for us so we can learn, learn not how to stumble and and be uh, tripped up and be disqualified, uh, just as the children of Israel were out in the wilderness wondering, but also the children of Israel right now is at this time in their history in the book of Judges. So, Lord, we want to learn. And and just as we learn from Scripture what to do, we also learn what not to do and what to stay away from. And, Lord, we desire to hear your voice and to take heed in the warnings that are given to us in this chapter. So, Lord, bless this time. Give us instructions, and may we be encouraged and edified and comforted right now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We ended last time uh, with the life of Gideon, uh, looking at his story in chapters 6 through 8 of the book of Judges. And it's a wonderful story of Gideon as Gideon was there hiding from the Midianites. And as he was hiding from the Midianites, um, there the angel of the Lord came to him and said, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. And the Lord was looking at Gideon in his potential, not in his present state. Because in that present state, Gideon was very much frightened. He was afraid. And so the Lord said, Gideon, I'm going to, working through your life, make you a mighty man of valor. And I believe that's what the Lord would say to all of us here in this room, that he desires to make us men and women of, uh, that honor him and of strength, of, of ones that walk in wisdom and of great courage. And so that's the working of the Lord in our lives. And there are those times where we become afraid, those times where we feel weak and feeble, and the Lord desires to strengthen us and minister through us. And so Gideon, the wonderful story that is told to us of a man who humbled himself, surrendered himself, submitted himself to the Lord. And the Lord gave Gideon and his 300 ragtag renegades victory over the 135,000 Midianites that had them in bondage. The Midianites uh, came into the land, took their homes, took their land. Uh, the people were impoverished. Uh, they were ones that were hiding in the hills, the mountains. Uh, the Midianites uh, and the Amalekites were stealing their land, destroying their land, taking the harvest at harvest time. That's why uh, Gideon was there hiding away when he was threshing the wheat. Uh, he wasn't out in the open like they usually would do that. And so Gideon would see the hand of God work through him and his 300 men to bring victory against the Midianites. And, of course, they would uh, pursue the, the, the kings of the Midianites. 
They end up being executed. And then after that great victory, we see that the people came to Gideon. As you recall, as we uh, finished chapter 8 last time, looking at the, the, the victory after the battle and, and the end of Gideon's life. And the people said, Gideon, you did so much for us. We want to make you our king, you and your sons. And so they were looking at Gideon to be the king and this perpetual you know, lineage of kings through his family, the lineage of Gideon. And Gideon said something very wise. He said that I will not rule over you nor my sons, but may the Lord rule over you. And the reason that was a good answer is, as we talked about last week, that God desires to rule over us. They were called Israel, which means governed by God. And God desires to govern our lives, to rule over our lives. And so here is Gideon, given that good answer. But then we saw that at the end of Gideon's life, I think that Gideon became complacent. And what he did was he took some of the spoils of the victory that they had against the Midianites, some of the gold, and he would make this ephod, and he would set it up in his hometown of Oprah. And there it became, as we saw in chapter 8, a snare to Gideon, his family, and the whole nation of Israel. And what was happening was they played the harlot. They were coming and they were worshiping that ephod. And I think that the reason that Gideon made that image, that ephod, was because he was setting up a monument for himself. His name wanted to, he wanted his name to be remembered. He didn't want the people to forget about him. But what ended up happening was that it ended up becoming a stumbling to his household and also to, to the house of Israel. And so we talked about, as we ended last week, that it's important for you and I to understand this, that we're running a race. And it is Paul that said in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, as we've seen just a few weeks ago on Sunday morning, he says, listen, that you have a race that you're running, so run the race to win the prize. You don't want to get stumbled up. You don't want to get weighed down. You want to keep your focus on the Lord, and you want to, to understand that you are to run with certainty. You are to run with discipline. And then he, as you move into 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul would use the example of the children of Israel that were disqualified. They were stumbling in the wilderness because of their unbelief and sin and disobedience. The writer of Hebrews says that since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that let us put aside every weight and sin that ensnares us and run your race with endurance that is set before you, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And so we are told to run our race with endurance. How do we run with endurance? You put aside every weight, every sin that may ensnare you. And so here was this thing that would snare or be a snare, as we read last week in chapter 8, to Gideon and the children of Israel. And what my prayer is for all of us is that we would put aside those things that weigh us down, that distract us, take us away from really staying close to the Lord. Any sin that will take us uh, away from having just that, that intimate fellowship and closeness with the Lord. And how is it that we run our race with endurance? Well, the writer of Hebrews says, you look unto Jesus. You fix your eyes on him. You study him. You behold him. You look to him. That's what it means there. And he is the author and finisher of our faith. And so here is Gideon, who at the end of his life got complacent. My prayer again for all of us, that as 
we journey along as we run a race that we wouldn't become complacent and weighed down, but we would keep our eyes focused on the Lord. And then Gideon, what he did is that he married a number of wives. And of course, you can look at the book of Deuteronomy that said when you are a king, and Gideon isn't a king, but he is the judge. Same principle applies, not to multiply wives, but he multiplied wives, had 70 sons, and then he ended up having a concubine in Shechem, and a son through her, his name is Abimelech. And this is Abimelech that we're reading about here in chapter 9. And so that, that you know, series of events or that decision that Gideon made to have multiple wives and sons and, and also his concubine have a son through her, we're going to see brings a lot of tragedy and sorrow and, and, um, and, and negative consequences, serious consequences to his family and also to the nation. You see, folks, when God says stay away from these things, we need to take heed to the warnings of the Lord. And one of the things that we're going to see very clearly here in chapter 9 is, is that there are warnings that are given here. And we need to take heed to those things. Also, just as Gideon said, that let God rule over you, we're going to see what happens when you let something other than the Lord rule over you. When you let the worldly pleasures rule over you, if you let the flesh rule over you, there are many things that can rule over an individual, have a grip on their lives, and really hold them in captivity and, and, and cause tragedy and heartache in a person's life. Drug, alcohol, pornography, whatever it might be that people get so entrapped in that rule over them. And any of those things are going to bring heartache into your life. And what we see here is a man, Abimelech, he is the son of, the, of, 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 of Jerubbaal, or that is Gideon. That was another name for Gideon. And the concubine that, that he um, would have. And they were in Shechem. So Abimelech goes to Shechem, where his mother is. And as we see that Abimelech says to the men of Shechem, he says, listen, which is better for you, that the 70 sons of, of Gideon rule over you, or one rule over you, and that is me? Hey, I'm of your family. You don't want those guys ruling over you. So he's putting down the family of Gideon, and he is making himself look good, and he is manipulating, and he is saying, I need to rule over you. So what they did was, is they gave him some silver out of their pagan temple. Once again, the nation has fallen into idol worship, and they have forsaken the Lord, and they're worshiping the Baals at this time. And we see this reckless and this very godless man that is beginning to take control and rule over the people. When it was Gideon that said, you need to have God rule over you. And it was God's intention for that, to bring blessing and refreshment and, and, and f- true freedom to them. And, and to be blessed in every way. But instead, they're letting this reckless man, this ruthless man, very violent man, talk them into ruling over them. He says, I need to rule over you. So they pay him off. They pay him some money out of the temple of Baal Bereth. And he ends up, verse 4, hiring some worthless and reckless men, and they end up following him. So what does he do? Verse 5, he went to his father's house, that is Gideon's family, at Oprah, and killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jerubbaal, on a stone. On one stone means that what they did is they beheaded them. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, was left because he hid himself. 
So all the men of Shechem gathered together at Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. So here is the self-appointed you know, appointed king. The men of Shechem make him king. He is a king that they are going to have rule over them. So here is this godless man ruling over this city, Shechem, and in that area they made him king. The children of Israel at this time should have risen up. And they should have dealt with this situation. But because they're so far away from God, nobody does anything. And that's what happens when you get a nation that just gets so far away from God. These are the kinds of things that, that take place. There's corruption and violence and all these other things. And here's this violent, corrupt man that is ruling over them. And no one's going to deal with it, but God's going to deal with it. But first, as we see that the 70 sons of, of Gideon were killed, except for the youngest, he hides himself, and now he's going to say a parable. He's going to speak to the children of Israel. So verse 7, Now when they told Jothan, he went and stood at the top of Mount Gerasim and lifted his voice and cried out, and he said to them. Now Mount Gerasim probably rings a bell with you if you've been with us through the Old Testament here. You recall that Moses was told that when the children of Israel go into the promised land, that half of you are going to stand on Mount Gerasim, half of you are going to stand on Mount Ebal, the priests are going to be in between in the valley, and there's going to be the pronouncing of the blessings and the cursings. And we read about the cursings and the blessings there in Deuteronomy chapters 28 and 29. When you get into the book of Joshua, as Joshua would lead them into the promised land, we see that event actually took place there in Joshua chapter 7. There was the, the blessings and the cursings. And on Mount Gerson was what? Was the blessings. And so that's where the blessings were pronounced. All of a sudden we see the son of, of Gideon, all his brothers were killed by Abimelech and these worthless men. He's going to pronounce this curse. And he is going to address them about how it was that, that they made this foolish choice in making Abimelech their king. So he says in verse 7, Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. He's, he's telling this parable is what he's going to do. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Should I cease giving my oil, with which they honor God and men, and go to sway over trees? And then the tree said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Why should I, should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit and go to sway over trees? Verse 12, Then the trees said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Should I cease my new wine, which cheers both God and men to go to sway over trees? And then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out from the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. So here is this parable that's being told. And you, and you look at this, and you see the olive you know, trees, the fig tree, the, the vineyards were asked to, to rule over, but they declined, and they call over to this bramble to rule over them, to be a shade for them. 
And in this parable, what is being told is that the olive tree, you think about the olive tree, the fig tree, the, the vineyards. If you go to Israel with this next May, you're going to see all those things. You're going to be to see the olive trees that are there and, and the vineyards that are all over the nation. You're going to see the fig trees that are uh, there in the land. And those things are a blessing to the land. They're a blessing to the people. They provide food. And, and they provide refreshment and that which is good. And you see, the Lord desired for them to experience that goodness, that blessing, to be refreshed as they look to him. The Lord is the one that brought them into the land and blessed them with that, that fig trees and vineyards and, and um, the other things as they went into the land and as they produced from the land. God wanted to be a blessing to them. But they refused to, to be ones that would be kings or reign over the people. And so essentially in this parable, they yell over to the bramble. Now the bramble is just a weed. It's a, it's a thorny weed that provides no shade. And they said, you know what? The bramble is saying, anoint me as your king. And you come and take shelter in the shade which is a joke because a brandle doesn't have any shade. It's a thorny, you know, kind of weed is all it is. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. So in other words, um, they uh, were ones that had chosen this worthless weed that produced no fruit, provided no shade to rule over them. You know, we need to make a decision in our lives who it is and what it is that we're going to have rule over us. And the Lord desires to rule over our lives so that we can be blessed and refreshed and renewed. That we can walk in His wisdom. That we can experience that abundant life that He has for us. And that is a life that is submitted and surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ and committed and surrendered to walking in his ways. And as we walk in his ways, we're going to be refreshed and renewed and strengthened and comforted. And we're going to just be blessed in our lives because his ways are good, aren't they? And it brings blessing to us as we do that. But if we make the decision that, well, I'm going to have the world pleasures or the flesh or whatever it might be rule over me, or ungodly influences in our lives, you're going to end up getting burnt. And here is the brandle that is going to burn the people. And here is this parable that he's telling them of their terrible choice to allow Abimelech to be their king. What I pray is that we would make good decisions in our lives. Is the Lord really ruling over your heart? Does he really sit on the throne of your heart? Are you really allowing him to work in your life? And I hope that the answer is yes. And those ungodly things that can come into our lives that have, you know, are just not good and sin, that we can be fooled into thinking this is going to be good. These guys were fooled into thinking Abimelech, yeah, we need to make Abimelech our king. And they're going to pay a heavy price for it. And any of us that have something or someone that rules in our life that is ungodly, that is not right, that is sin, that we're going to get burnt. 
and, and there's going to be consequences for that. So verse 16, he continues, Now therefore, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, if you have dwelt well with Jeroboam in his house and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you, risked his life, and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. But you have risen up against my father's house this day and killed his seventy sons on one stone and made Abimelech the son of his female servant king over the men of Shechem because he is your brother. If then if you have acted in truth and sincerity with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. In verse 20, But if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. Let fire come from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jothan ran away and fled, and he went to Beer and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech and his brothers. So we see here that he continues, and he says, My father fought for you, delivered you out of the hands of the Midianites, and this is how you repay him? This is how you honor Gideon? By letting Abimelech come and kill his family, his sons, and rule over you? And if you've really acted in truth and in sincerity, then you have nothing to fear. But of course, they hadn't, had they? And so this, this prophecy is given of judgment that's going to come upon them, the men of Shechem, and also upon Abimelech. And that's what we're going to read about in the rest of the chapter. You unwisely chose Abimelech, and fire is going to come from him and devour you. And that's what we're going to see is going to happen. And we're going to see that Abimelech is going to be dealt with as well, which we're going to see is going to happen. Now, you remember in Joshua chapter 24, at the end of Joshua's life, and at the end of that book, he gathers the nation. God had done a marvelous work through them. It was a book of great victory because they were ones that walked in the ways of the Lord and believed the word of the Lord, and, and, and they were given victory as they took the land. And Joshua said to them, Serve the Lord in sincerity and in truth, and choose this day who it is that you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And my prayer for us is that we would be ones that we would serve the Lord, we would worship the Lord, be devoted to the Lord in truth. That it would be in truth, knowing God's ways, knowing his word, tucking his word into our hearts. How can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed to the word of God. So it's very important for us that as we read this book, that we believe this book, we believe the principles and the truths that are given to us, believe that this is God speaking to us, all of it, and then applying it in our lives. So just serving the Lord, being devoted to the Lord in truth and sincerity, just having a sincere heart and loving the Lord and again being devoted to the Lord. And so that's the way that I hope for us that we say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to walk in your truth and walk in sincerity, be devoted to you in truth and sincerity, just loving you and desiring to know you and walk in your ways. And as we do, again, there's going to be fruit and blessing in our lives. Otherwise, if we're not, then we're going to get burnt. We're going to get burnt sometime along the way. And so verse 22, we begin to see the downfall of Abimelech. We see after Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years, God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the man of Shechem, and the man of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. So we see here that, to me, indicates that Abimelech not only just ruled over the city of Shechem, it says he reigned over Israel for three years. So he's really taking control. So he's really ruling with a heavy hand. And so God sends this, this, um, this spirit of ill will against him, and we see in verse 24, 
that the crime done to the 70 sons of Jerubbabel might be settled, and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother who killed them, and on the men of Shechem who aided him in the killing of his brothers. And the men of Shechem sent men to ambush against him on the tops of the mountains, and they robbed all who passed by them along the way, and it was told Abimelech. So what was happening is, is Abimelech's there, and, and he's benefiting from the traders coming in, the trade routes. One of the things about Israel and where Shechem is, that it geographically sets between Africa and Asia and Europe. And so it was a major trade route with all the travelers coming through. And so Abimelech had control over all this, and he was taxing the traders. He was getting wealthy off of it. So the men of Shechem, as this this spirit of ill will is coming against, you know, Abimelech with the men of Shechem, they decide, these guys, we're going to hide in the hills so when these traders uh, come in and these merchants come in, we're going to rob them. And what it did is it hurt Abimelech in his pocketbook. And, 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 and so that would hurt him um, in, in more than just financially, but, but having control and, and being able to do what he wants to do. So this blow is given to him. It would hurt him in his, his power that he would have over the people. And then in verse 26, Now Gael, the son of Abed, came with his brothers and went over to Shechem. The men of Shechem put their confidence in him. So here comes this guy. So the men of Shechem say, we're going to put our confidence in this guy. In verse 27, so they went out in the fields and gathered grapes from the vineyards and trod them and made merry. And they went to the house of their God and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. Then Gael, the son of Abed, said, who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerabel? Is not Zabol his officer? Serve the man of Hamor, the father of Shechem, but why should we serve him? If only this people are under my authority, then I would re- remove Abimelech. So he said to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. So this is what's happening. This guy, Gael, he goes out in the vineyards. They make some wine. They're in the pagan temple. They're drinking. And all of a sudden, this guy, Gael, starts shooting off his mouth. And he's saying, who is this Abimelech? Why should we follow him? Why should we serve him? Isn't he the son of, of Gideon as well? And, and you know what? Why should we be under his authority? If I was in charge, man, I'd deal with Abimelech. And he's calling Abimelech out. Come on out, Abimelech. Bring your guys and let's, let's get it on. Let's have a battle. And he's saying this all under the influence of, of the wine that he is drinking. And so here we see something, of course, which is very important for us to understand. You've got to be careful what you're under the influence of. And maybe perhaps sometime in your life, or maybe you know somebody in their life, I, I've, I've heard stories of people that have come in to talk to me, and they said, you know, I was out of place and had a little bit too much wine, and I was saying things that I shouldn't have said because they were under the influence of that. And you want to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 5 that you be filled with the Spirit, which is the dissipation, not, not with wine. Don't be filled with wine. And don't be filled with anything that's going to influence your thinking, that's going to make you not be able to discern which is right and wrong and good and evil and that which is holy and unholy. That's the story of Leviticus chapter 10 with Aaron and his two sons. 
They were drinking of the wine and ran into the Holy of Holies when they weren't supposed to and got consumed with fire. And it was the Lord that said to Aaron, you know, you make sure, Aaron, you and your remaining two sons, that you're not under the influence of wine, that you can determine which is, you know, that between holy and unholy. In other words, you and I, you know, be wise. And and be wise in what you're saying. It may be that you're just feeling, you know, getting caught into the conversation and the gossip in the workroom. And all of a sudden, you know, you start joining in and you're feeling pretty good. And yeah, why should we listen to the boss? Why should we serve him? Man, if I was in charge, you know, this place would really be running good. And here's the thing you got to remember. It's going to be found out. And it's going to be heard. And that's going to begin to spread because what we read in, in verse 30, then Jabal, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, the son of Abed, and his anger arose. It's going to be found out. Talk will spread. And people will find out what you're saying to others. And that's what happened here. So be wise in your speech. And again, it is Ephesians chapter 5 says, Let no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth, but that which is for edification which will bring grace to the hearers. In other words, you better be careful what it is that you're saying. And the things that we say, you know, I I pray that we're not involved in tearing people down and gossiping. And, you know, there's a saying somebody told me that gossiping wouldn't be a problem if there weren't so many ears willing to listen to it. And that is true, isn't it? And slander and being under the influence of, you know, whatever it might be, and you start saying things and doing things that you end up regretting. And that's what happens here. So Jabal, he hears. He's the officer for Abimelech. And he is angry and is found out here. So verse 31, he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly saying, Take note, Gael the son of Abed and his brothers have come to Shechem. And here they are fortifying the city against you. In other words, they're coming against you, Abimelech. And he's there shooting off his mouth in the temple, and um, you better take note of it. And now, therefore, get up by night, you and the people who are with you, and lie in wait in the field. And it shall be as soon as the sun is up in the morning that you shall rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people are with him come out against you, you may then do as to them as you find opportunity. So, you know what? You better deal with this, Abimelech. And you better attack the city and attack those men. So that's what he's going to do. So, verse 34, Abimelech and all the people who were with him rose by night, lay in wait against Shechem in four companies. Then Gael, the son of Abed, went out and stood at the entrance to the city gates, and Abimelech and the people who were with him arose from lying in wait. And when Gael saw the people, he said to Zabel, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountain. And Zabel said to him, You see the shadows of the mountains as if they were men. So, you know, Abimelech takes his guys that are with him. They hide in the hills there. And here is Gael. He comes out to the gate of the city, to the entrance of the city, which shows me that he's kind of taken a little bit of control of the city. Guys have really kind of rallied around him because there at the entrance of the city was the gate of the city there and, of course, the seat of the city. And that's where the judges and the leaders would hang out. So here's Gael and, and Zebul that's there. And, and, you know, it's early morning, and all of a sudden, here's Gael that looks out and says, God, it looks like, you know, people are coming out from the mountains. And Zebul's saying, ah, those are just shadows. You're just seeing things. No big deal. 
And so verse 37, Gael spoke again and said, See, people are coming down from the center. It is people. And of the land, and another company is coming from the diviner's terpentry. Then Zabol said to him, Where indeed is your mouth now with which you said, Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despise? Go out, if you will, and fight with them now. So put your money where your mouth is. This is your chance. This is who you're speaking about and shooting off your mouth about and coming against. Now you need to go out and fight them. So Gael, verse 39, went out leading the men of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled from him, and many fell wounded at the very entrance of the gate. And then Abimelech dwelt at Arumah, and Zobol drove out Gael and his brothers so that they would not dwell in Shechem. And it came about, verse 42, on the next day, that the people went out in the field, and they told Abimelech. So he took his people, divided them into three companies, lay in wait in the field, and he looked, and there were the people coming out of the city, and he rose against them and attacked them. Then Abimelech and the company was with him, rushed forward, stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, and the other two companies rushed upon all those who were in the fields and killed them. So the next day, what Abimelech does in his guise is the people are coming out in the fields to work. He attacks the people, kills them, and then he is leading this attack against the city. And so verse 45, Abimelech fought against the city all that day, and he took the city and killed the people who were in it and demolished the city and sold it with salt. So he destroys Shechem, he destroys the people of the city, he sows the field there out around Shechem, uh, with the indication here is salt, so they couldn't farm it anymore. Real nice guy. This is who they put their trust in. This is who they put their allegiance to. Is a man who is violent and vile, and a man who is ruthless and who is godless. Folks, don't let someone or something rule over you that is ungodly, unlike God. Because the consequences are going to be great. And I pray that we would be ones, again, that say, God, I want to be called Israel, just as Jacob was called Israel. Remember the story? Jacob, what's your name? My, my name is Heel Snatcher. Jacob was one that was always trying to do things in his own strength and own energy. And he got to that breaking point where the Lord's wrestling with Jacob and said, your name is not going to be Jacob, now Israel, which means governed by God. And I think that the Lord will bring us to a point oftentimes when it comes to that point of brokenness and realizing that the world and the pleasures of the world and, and following after the flesh and being in bondage to drugs and alcohols, pornography and all that stuff is terrible. And the heartaches and the tragedy that it brings and the consequences, it kills marriages and relationships and, and joy and true happiness in people's lives. It just kills it. And you know what the neat thing is, is that we have opportunity to come to Jesus Christ and to cry out to him. We're going to see in the next chapter that's what they're going to do. That they're going to truly repent and turn to the Lord. And in the repentance that we can have in our lives, it's, it's a wonderful word. You know, a lot of pastors say, I don't like to talk about repentance because it's such a harsh word and they picture a mean old pastor standing up and pointing at the people and saying you need to repent and 
Repent is a very wonderful, wonderful word. Do you know that? It simply means to turn direction. And that the Lord wouldn't give up on us because of his long-suffering and his kindness and his patience and his, his love for us that remains. He cries out not like an arresting officer wanting to arrest you or, you know, condemn you. A loving father that says, repent and turn to me because I want what's best for you and I want to free you and forgive you and for you to experience my mercy and my grace and, and to... to Start living a life where you start experiencing that abundant life that I have for you, the richness and the fullness and the promises that I have for you. And so here are the people. They chose Abimelech as their leader, and Abimelech ends up killing them. And so verse 46, all the men of the tower of Shechem had heard that they entered the stronghold of the temple to God birth. And it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower Shechem were gathered together. Then Abimelech went to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a, a bough from the trees and took it and laid it on his shoulders. And he said to the people who were with him, What you have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. So you know what's going to happen here. He's cutting some wood for what? Well, let's read on. So each of the people, verse 49... Likewise, cut down his own bow and followed Abimelech, put them against the stronghold, set the stronghold on fire above them, so all the people of the tower of Shechem died, and a thousand men and women. So they run up to this tower of, of this false temple, this, this false god that they were worshiping, this tower that was there at that temple, and Shechem just burns it down as they set a fire, and a thousand men end up perishing. You know what? Jesus, God, is our stronghold, isn't he? And that's what David writes in the Psalms over and over again. Lord, you are my refuge. Lord, you're my strong tower. You're, you're my safety. Lord, you're the one that is my strength. And if you're looking to have a strong tower, or a, a stronghold in anything other than Jesus Christ and a life that is living for him and dedicated to him and devoted to him, it's going to get burnt down. It's going to fall down. It's going to be weak. It's not going to stand because he is our stronghold. He is our tower. He's our refuge. He's our safety. So they burned this tower down. He's not done, verse 52. So Abimelech went as far as to, um, uh, well, let me back up. I need to back up to verse 50. Then Abimelech went to Thesbez, about 10 miles away, and he had camped against Thesbez and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city, and all the men and women, all the people of the city fled there, shut themselves in, and they went up to the top of the tower. So here's another tower they go up to, to the top of it. So Abimelech came as far as the tower, fought against it, drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. He's going to do the same thing. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man and his armor-bearer and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me, A woman killed him. That wouldn't be good for his legacy, you see. <laughs> a woman dropped this millstone. I think the Lord had a little bit of doing directing that millstone. You can go to Israel today, and they got huge millstones that they have. And Jesus there in Capernaum, when we go to Capernaum, we see these millstones that are there, huge things about... 500 pounds, and Jesus said, uh, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, be better that a millstone be hung around your neck 
And I think Jesus was kind of pointing to one. Be better that that millstone be hung around your neck and you cast into the sea. The sea is right there along the, the Sea of Galilee, the Capernaum. So here's this millstone. It's a little millstone that they would have. And she says, crushes his skull. He says, come kill me. I don't want to be known as being killed by a woman. So the young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his place. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his fathers by killing his 70 sons. And all the evil of the men of Shechem, God returned to their own heads. And on them came the curse of Jothan, the son of Jerobbaal. So God deals with here this man, Abimelech, and he ends up being killed. And again, the lesson of us is don't let that which is ungodly, ruthless, worldly rule over you. Let the Lord rule over you, folks. Let him really rule over your heart. Be sitting on the throne of your heart in every area of your life. In chapter 10, very quickly, after Abimelech rose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, what a name, Dodo. So, the man of Issachar, and they dwelt in Shemer, in the mountains of Ephraim. He judged Israel 23 years, and he died and was buried in Shemer. So, we don't know much about Tola, except what it's told here. He ruled for 23 years. And after him rose Jair, a Gileadite, and he judged Israel 22 years. Now, he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. They also had 30 towns, which are called Hava Jair, to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in and came on. So here is Jair. We don't know much about him, except he was wealthy. How do we know that? He has 30 sons, and they have 30 donkeys. I mean, that's, you know, that's really living it up back then. That's like having 30 sons and 30 fancy cars, living in their own cities, you know, that belong to them. So all we know is that he ruled for 22 years. And then verse 6, the children of Israel did evil, in the sight of the Lord, and served the Baals and the Astaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. seems like they're willing to serve just about any other god but the Lord, as they did evil in the sight of the Lord. It's interesting, today in our society, it seems like people are willing to worship just about anything. Very reluctant to come to the Lord, the one who can really bless them and save them and forgive them. And so here again, this cycle of doing evil again in the sight of the Lord, they find themselves, verse 8, for that year they were harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years, all the children of Israel who are on the other side of Jordan in the land of the Amorites and Gilead. So they are oppressed, they are harassed again in bondage for 18 years. Moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over to Jordan to fight against Judah, also against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. Do you see impoverished distress? See what happens when we go after the world or go after sin? That's the result of it. We saw it with the Midianites. They were greatly impoverished. Here they're severely distressed. That will happen to you and to me if we're not really just living for the Lord and devoted to the Lord. We are such a blessed people. God is so good that we don't have to... to to go through a lot of the junk that people go through because we have a loving God and godly wisdom that we can walk in and God working on our behalf to bless us as we're just devoted to him. 
and devoted in sincerity and truth. And so here the children of Israel, verse 10, cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians, from the Amorites, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, and also the Sidonians and the Amalekites and the Maonites, and that probably in some manuscripts is Minionites, how they oppressed you and cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and serve other gods, therefore I will deliver you no more. Go cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. So the Lord says, didn't I deliver you from the Egyptians and all the other ites that are in the land there? Haven't I really delivered you? If you are so persistent in insisting on serving those gods of the Canaanites, the Baals and Astros and the other false gods, then go to them. Let them free you. Let them work on your behalf. And that's one of the things, main messages, when you go through the book of Isaiah particularly, is Isaiah, as he's prophesying, telling the house of Israel and the house of Judah to turn away from the idol worship, he talks about the futility, that the, how vain it is to worship those idols. They can't help you. They cannot help you. It's the Lord is the one that brought you out of Egypt and brought you into the land and has blessed your life and frees you and works on your behalf and saves you from your enemies. These false gods never help the children of Israel. And that which is false and deceptive will not help you and I, especially in our hour of need. And you see, that's one of the deceptions of the enemy. He wants you to think that if I go after this which is false and worldly, worldly pleasures, sin, whatever it is, it's going to bring me happiness and it's going to bring me pleasure. It may bring you happiness and pleasure for a short season, but eventually it's going to catch up with you. And it's going to do you end. And you're going to find yourself in bondage and captivity, and then it won't be able to help you. The Lord is the only one that will be able to give you a life of true satisfaction and fulfillment. So look into him. So he's saying, turn to those other gods. Why don't you let them free you, help you in your situation? The Lord is our help. He's the one that helps us, and we are to, to look to him. So verse 15, here's good news, is that the children of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned, do to us whatever seems best to you, only deliver us this day we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. So true repentance that we talked about leads to action. And that's what happens here. They put away those gods crying out to the Lord. And then the Lord in his mercy and his grace once again is going to work on behalf of his people. In verse 17, Then the people of Ammon gathered together and encamped in Gilead. And the children of Israel assembled together and encamped at Mizpah. And the people and leaders of Gilead said to one another, Who's the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And so next time what we're going to see is the story of Jephthah who's going to be raised up to be the next judge of Israel. So, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for these lessons. And, Lord, I pray that tonight as we just continue in worship, continue to just look to you for the next few moments, Lord, just I pray if there's anything that has a grip on our hearts that is unlike you, that is wrong, that is worldly, Lord, whatever it might be, that, Father, that we would be ones that tonight, just throwing ourselves on your mercy and grace, confessing it, and, Lord, that those things would be removed from our lives. Lord, that we would always, every day, make the choice that, Lord, you rule in my heart, sit on the throne of my heart, 
and rule over every area of my life, knowing that blessing comes from that. And Father, we have heard the warnings, the illustration given to us. Just as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, these are examples for us. So that we don't find ourselves in bondage and in misery, being impoverished, being distressed greatly because we're following after that which is contrary to you, to your nature and character, to your truth, Lord, in the way that you would have us to live. So, Father, we come to you. And, Lord, we also come tonight and we can just come and ask for help in our time of need because, Lord, you want us to. And if there are needs tonight that you have, just give it to the Lord as we worship, knowing that he is a God that is great and mighty. He's our strong tower. He desires to provide and to bless, to minister to you, truth to you. And Father, so encourage your people right now. Bless them as we just bless you once again and worshiping you, hearing the word, being edified, Lord, being Exhort it right now. So, Father, bless this time. In Jesus' name. If you do.